Hi Sam, thank you very much for agreeing to join me today. Um, I'm excited to get to talk to you about everybody's favourite topic, especially within QI data. So it, it's great to have you here. Excellent. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here. That's great. So just to start, Sam, um, obviously the topic of our conversation today revolves around data. So in terms of, I suppose, you know, data forms a part of everybody's day job. It forms a big part of QI. And yet, you know, a common theme that perhaps we see is, you know, people struggle with data. Um, and maybe there's some perceptions around data as well, maybe that it's not for them or that it's too burdensome, et cetera, or too complicated. So I suppose from your point of view, why do you think that is? And maybe from, from your approach with um, making data count and maybe your wider approach, how do you kind of try to address some of those struggles um, or perceptions around data? Okay, so um, I recognize the things that you've talked about. I come across lots of people that are scared of data. Lots of people think that data is just for the techie people, it's for the analysts. I'm not an analyst, I should say as well. So I'm just a generalist, I'm not an analyst. But I do think a lot of people are scared about data. They, they don't think that they can use it, they're not confident about using it. So they kind of shy away from it. And I think you're absolutely right that people don't necessarily value it. So maybe people have to collect a lot of data but they don't necessarily see the benefit of the data that they've been um, collecting probably for quite a long time. So I think there's a big gap there in terms of helping people understand A, how to use it, and B, to show them that it's really important because we can't do anything, can we, unless we've got good data. It's impossible to understand where you are. It's impossible to prove that you've actually made any changes. So we have to be better at using data and get people over that fear. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, looking at some of the stuff that you have delivered or developed in the past, you, you've, I've come across this term that you've used, um, spuddling. Um, just explain to us, if you will, what, what exactly you mean by that. Ah, and this is good timing today, Elliot, because spuddling was word of the day again on Twitter today, just totally randomly. Or maybe they knew that we were recording this podcast. And um, <laughs> So in my world, and it might be different in Northern Ireland, but I don't think it is, we really frequently see people overreact to data that's just changing randomly. So, you know, you might have the position where you might have a target. Maybe you've achieved the target for five months and then suddenly you don't achieve the target, then there's a big panic. That's when people tend to go away and do the spuddling thing. So it's a word from the West Country in England, and it's several hundred years old. What's the definition to make a lot of fuss about trivial things as if they were important? So what I see on my travels is lots of people, regardless of the level, board members, maybe even people in national roles, people at more junior levels, overreacting to data and spuddling. And if you overreact to data that's just changing randomly, you know, like if you weighed yourself every day, you're going to weigh something slightly different every day, even if you did precisely the same thing for the previous days that's when you're spuddling and you're going to waste a lot of time, energy and effort because you're not going to be focusing on things that are going to make a difference. So we don't like spuddling. And Elliot, you probably know, you might even have your own cards. I know this is a podcast and people can't see, but you have got some of these, haven't you? Your very own cards. Have you got spuddling cards? Yes, absolutely. And we'll have to get more of them off you maybe and start to deliver them across our own trust. Absolutely. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think for those of you that can see, Sam's holding up basically a red, a yellow and red card system. Isn't, isn't that what 
Um, yeah. So how, how does that work in practice then, Sam? So if, yeah, if you're well, in that... The idea is if you're in a meeting and you think that somebody's spuddling, um, so you take the cards along to you in your meetings and you raise the yellow card. Now, you should have said, Elliot, that it doesn't say you are spuddling on the card. It asks a question. So it says, are you spuddling? So it's a bit more gentle. Um, <laughs> but then if the person does it again, you might raise the red card. And obviously that might be a bit more forcefully done. So it might sound very silly but we've got um, thousands of people across England using the cards in their meetings. It's enabling them to challenge their colleagues' behaviour. Um, so it is starting to really drive a, a cultural change. So it's not just this kind of silly set of cards, it is genuinely starting to make people challenge and have different types of conversations and hopefully do different things. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to spuddling or even presenting data, what are some of the key tools or approaches that you take within making data count then, um, I suppose, to get people over that initial fear um, and even over some of the, maybe the common pitfalls as, as you're sort of identifying there as well that people have traditionally when they're presenting data, what, what kind of tools do you have at your disposal? Okay, so making data counts um, is all about moving people away from RAG reporting. So we see RAG reporting a huge amount and instead, we want people to use statistical process control or SPC charts that enables you to understand variation in data. We do try to wipe out any horrible charts, though. We see things called spaghetti charts, where we've got lots of different colored lines for different years or different measures. So we're, we're trying to focus on getting rid of those really complicated ways or unhelpful ways of looking at data. And in particular, we've, of course, had SPC for a very long time. I learned about it over 20 years ago. Um, I think that sometimes we can overcomplicate teaching SPC. And when I first came into post in NHS improvement, I just thought that we should do something a bit different. And that's when we came up with the concept of developing making data count, making it feel a bit more modern, making it feel exciting. But also we do teach SPC in a very particular way. So there's a few things to be said on that probably. So um, many of your listeners will be aware, I'm sure, that there are lots of different types of SPC charts p-charts, c-charts, u-charts, loads of them. So we made a decision to only teach or to primarily teach about one chart, which is the XMR chart. Um, so Dr. Donald Wheeler in the States, he's in his 70s now, all of his teachings talk about the fact that XMR charts can deal with virtually all data. So we've taken a decision to use that as our approach because we do know from research evidence that people do get... Um, confused and scared if they see lots of different chart types and they don't know which one to use. So that's the first thing to say. Um, we could talk a long time about this topic, Elliot, but we're going we're gonna to move on from that at the moment. And um, XMR charts are pretty much good for all of your data. Um, so also what we don't want to happen is we don't want people to have to count the dots and remember all of those SPC rules. So we've got a whole range of tools that people can use for free. Anybody can use them. It's on our future site. You might want to put the link in on your podcast notes. So we've got loads of Excel tools that people can use. You just key in your data and the tools will create the charts for you. And how do we enable you to not have to count dots and remember the rules? Well, all of the rules are automatically triggered in our tools. And we've got a color convention, which um, is very handily able, um, you're able to see the color convention if you're colorblind. You can't see red and green, that's the reason for mentioning it. 
The colour convention is if you see blue dots, then you're seeing improvement in the data. And if you see orange dots, you're seeing decline in the data. So all you need to remember, you don't need to remember much about SPC charts. You just really need to remember to keep an eye out for the different coloured dots. And of course, you also need to keep an eye out for um, common cause variation, just that natural variation. Because of course, you might have process limits that are really wide, because then we need to act in a different way, don't we? So I think in summary, we've tried to keep it really simple. We've tried to give people the tools. We've got interactive PDFs that people can access. There's loads of resources available for people. We deliver loads and loads of training. But the focus is really on trying to keep it simple and reminding people why this is important, is why we're trying to measure properly and why we're trying to use data properly. We're doing that so that we can take the right actions to improve patient care. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I would like to emphasize actually as well, you know, in terms of um, the benefits or the feedback that, that we received from whenever you had hosted the, the workshop in the Loch Ness Discovery Center pre-COVID during simpler times. Um, whenever you had done that, you know, a lot of the feedback was how simple it was. So traditionally, we might have looked to, I think I counted maybe six or seven different types of SPC charts. But the thing to emphasize with, with your approach um, is the sheer simplicity of it. Um, and as you say, even if, you know, you're not overly um, up on the analysis, you know, it actually does the analysis for you. It shows you where maybe you need to be paying attention to um, from a special cause variation point of view. So um, that's definitely one huge benefit that I see. Um, thinking beyond then simplicity, Sam, why else, I suppose, do you see your program as being so successful? You know, and I suppose maybe... Can you give us some insight into, you know, what you have been doing, I suppose? How many, you know, boards have you presented to? How many workshops have you actually carried out? And I suppose, what's the feedback been from your point of view? And why have you been so, so successful? Oh, well, obviously, it's all down to me. Ha ha, she says jokingly. Um, probably partly down to me for the enthusiasm and being quite persistent. It has been necessary to be quite persistent, I would say. Um, because not everybody's been won over immediately. Most people have been, but there are still some people that think, well, SPC, why does she keep going on about that? There are lots of more sophisticated techniques that we could be using. Well, there may be, but let's get rid of the VAG reports and the two-point comparisons first. So, um, well, so what have we achieved? So we've now worked with 160 boards across mainly England. I think we might have done one session in Ireland when we were over with you a couple of years ago. So we've done loads and loads of board sessions. We haven't had a board tell us that they're not going to change their reporting and virtually all of them have. So we've got loads and loads of examples of best practice. So that's one thing because of course people talk to each other, don't they? Board members talk to each other, chief execs tell the neighbouring chief exec they've had a session and they've really benefited from it. And the great thing is where they've changed their reporting, they're reporting how the conversations have changed at board level. Um, they're reporting much less spuddling, I'm very pleased to say. And they're telling us that they're able to focus on the right things that are making a big difference. And I should use this as an opportunity to advertise my research paper that I had published last year in BMJ Leader, which talks about the impact of the Making Data Count training sessions with boards. And I do think it has been really important to start with that work with boards, because otherwise I think you can end up with pockets of really good practice going on further down the organisation, 
what we've been looking for is a, a change across an organisation. So we're wanting to change the whole of the NHS. And I think we need to start with boards if we're going to be successful in doing that. However, of course, it can't just be the boards. So in the good old days when we were allowed to travel, when we came to visit you in Northern Ireland, that's when we were running big training days called Making Days Count Ambassador Days, when we got enthusiastic people in the room and we had a lot of fun and we learned a lot of stuff as well. And um, of course, we couldn't do that when COVID hit. So we had to change what we did. You might come onto this in a moment. I think the COVID effects, but we've had to deliver everything via Teams now. And that's actually, I think, been really beneficial for the programme because it's enabled us to reach out to a whole lot of people that probably wouldn't have been allowed out for a full day's training. And we deliver the training sessions in bite-sized chunks. So you can learn something this week for an hour, then next week you're going to learn something else. And that's been really effective. Um, and of course, we've got nice materials to back it up. We've got those interactive PDFs. And increasingly, I think there are more and more teams starting to use SPC and reporting the benefits. So it's a combination of education, persistence, nice materials, keeping it really simple. And um, I should mention Twitter has been a really important part of this, I think, as well. So there's quite a vibrant Twitter community. We use the hashtag plot the dots. That's been a really good way to advertise what we're doing, but also hear what other people are doing and to find out what they need, because we want to be creating new tools, new offerings, and Twitter's a great way of finding out, you know, what's out there. And have you found generally that that enthusiasm has sort of endured throughout COVID as well, you know, that it's carried over? Um, I know from our point of view, we've, you know, we're delivering now on a pretty regular schedule, um, measures for improvement workshops. Um, you know, typically we're doing them now once a month and also the, the form part of a methodology series that we run every month. Um, and I suppose, you know, from our point of view, we had a redesign from the ground up you know, to make it that sort of, uh, you know, as engaging and as interactive as possible, um, you know, without the face-to-face. -face. So what has your experience been with that, I suppose? Yeah, so I think we've seen it as an opportunity. I think there's there's definitely been a huge amount of enthusiasm. Um, it's been amazing, actually, bearing in mind what people have had to be dealing with, people that are working on the front line, but they still found time to join training. Um, like you, we had to assess our training and you know how is this going to work virtually? So we've made some tweaks. We've taken on board the feedback that we've got from other people. We've even come up with new modules. So since we visited you a couple of years ago, we've got new modules now. We focus on narrative writing. We've got a session on benchmarking. We did a session a couple of weeks ago on triangulating data. That's the first one that we've ever run. And we've got more, more sessions that we've got planned. I think COVID has been a real opportunity to kind of just take stock of where we are. And um, of course, the problem with COVID is it's messed up all of the data. So that has proved to be quite a challenge. I'm sure that's happened to you as well. So, you know, we saw A&E performance suddenly skyrocket, lots of trust achieving the target. Um, but the reason for that is because they didn't have any patients in A&E. So hence the, the importance of triangulating the data. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's interesting you should say or use the word opportunity there. And I think across the health system from a QA point of view, that's what people have viewed COVID as, which has been a real positive, you know, as opposed to maybe, um, you know, it, it could have been easy maybe just to down tools at some points or whatever, but people have actually seen it as an opportunity to sort of um, nearly, um, I suppose, re-engage with QA or engage engage a wee bit more fully with QA. Absolutely. Um, 
Just to move on then, um, targets is another big thing that we often come across, Sam, where I just wanted to get your opinion on targets in general, I suppose. So, you know, we have teams maybe that are paddling really hard, they're working really hard um, to come up with particular change ideas, to implement change ideas. And maybe, you know, anecdotally, they feel like they're being successful. Um, but actually, you know, they maybe still see themselves dropping short on, on defined targets. Um, our benchmarks um, when they're actually looking. So would you have any words of encouragement for them or is there any particular approach maybe that organizations can take to targets or, or what, what sort of your opinion um, on targets as a whole? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. So we're not gonna ever get away from targets that I think. I think we're always gonna have targets. And I, don't, I, I recognize what you're talking about. I don't necessarily think that targets are always a bad thing and we could argue about whether targets are set at the right level or not. But I think we're always gonna have them. Um, so if you've got a team that's working really hard, they're feeling that there's some improvement but they're not achieving the target, well, they can still plot the dots is what I would say. They can still plot their progress against the target. And of course, if they're using my tools, what are they gonna be watching out for? They're going to be watching out for the blue dots. So, you know, we see lots of situations where we've got organisations falling short of targets, but they've got blue dots that are evidencing that they have made significant um, statistical improvement. And my experience is that's really quite encouraging when people see the blue dots. Now, I think the problem comes if there's a massive difference between where your performance is now compared to where you need to get to. And that's where you've got a big problem. And that's where I personally would look at setting interim targets. My partner during the pandemic lost five stone in weight. Now, he didn't set out to lose five stone in weight. And if he had done, he probably would have failed because it just would have felt unachievable. But instead, he set himself interim targets. So, you know, to, to lose a stone by a certain set period. And then when he achieved it, he was like, oh, wow, I achieved the target. Then he would set another one. So I think that's good advice. So plot the dots, look out for the blue dots, but set those interim targets. So something that feels like a bit of a stretch, then you're going to feel happy, aren't you, when you actually get to the point of achieving that target. And I think that kind of spurns you on to go further. So that would be my advice, whether it's targets or benchmarks. Um, but we're not going to get away from them, I reckon, in my lifetime. Yeah. And I suppose it, it kind of loosely comes back to the work that you've been doing with boards as well. You know, if you get them to maybe view targets in a different light or to view, um, you know, what improvement actually looks like, get them to look beyond the target as just one sort of uh, set measure of success and actually, you know, drill that wee bit deeper and see that actually beneath beneath the surface that actually improvement is being made. Yes, the target isn't being reached, but, you know, they're in, they're heading on the right direction. Yeah, I mean, we're, go we're probably going to run a session in a few months' time, maybe at the end of the year, looking at target setting and trajectories, because what I find is lots of board members want targets set for absolutely everything. Um, so that's often a question, well, how are you telling us what happened in the past? What's going to happen in the future? What's the trajectory? You know, what targets should we be looking at? Of course, the process limits tell you the history, don't they? But they also tell you the future unless you're going to do something different. So I think it would be a good module for us to develop for the future looking at how to set targets and trajectories that are sensible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's been a fantastic conversation, uh, Sam. Thank you very much. Um, I just want to kind of link in then with you in terms of thinking about what's next for data count. So 
you've mentioned there some of your your sort of in an ongoing um, development phase in terms of the workshops that you offer, but I've also seen you've got a, a Q exchange um, proposal that you've recently put forward. So maybe what it, what exactly is that? Um, what's the, the topic of that? Uh, yes, so fingers crossed for this. Um, so one of the areas that I've been passionate about for a long time is developing animals, because I think that they're not really focused so we put in a proposal to develop a MOOC, which is very exciting, a massive open online course, and that's specifically targeted at analysts. So it'll be a, a, a MOOC for analysts focused on making data count, but thinking about making data count in its broadest sense. So SPC will be a small part of it, but the MOOC will focus on equipping them with um, some of the softer skills. So how do I have conversations with my customers? And um, how do I explain data to people that aren't confident with data? Then there'll be modules on introducing NHS data sets. So we'll have some more basic stuff. We'll have some NHS specific stuff. We'll have some um, statistics modules. There'll be a whole range of different modules in there. So I'm hopeful that we're going to be successful in that bid because then we can get going with it. We have actually started a bit of filming in front of a green screen, which is quite exciting. Um, so I'm hoping that we get the funding to progress that much more quickly because we will do it anyway, but it might take out that funding and we could probably do it in 18 months if we got the money. That's fantastic. So I suppose that brings you beyond then just the live method of delivery into having a set sort of product sitting there, which, which is quite exciting. It reminds me of uh, Coursera. I think they, they're a big platform in that space. So it's something that we can definitely all look forward to. Um, in terms of, of work, your workshops then, so um, I suppose where, where can we find details on them and where, where can we get going with your upcoming live workshops? Okay, so there's a couple of things that I suggest. So um, I only ever tweet about data. I'm not gonna tweet about what I had for lunch. That's just not gonna happen. So people could follow me on Twitter. So I'm at Sam Riley and I tweet about up and coming things and new courses. We're running an exciting session in June on best practice mortality reporting. So that'll be one that, I, well, that's one that I've been advertising the last couple of days. People might be interested in that. Um, but also we've got our futures platform. So we've got a futures space. So if you're from Northern Ireland, you're probably gonna have to message the workspace manager, um, but we let anybody into the space and then we've got all of the tools, the resources, the recordings of different training sessions, our slide sets, and increasingly some quite lively discussion forums. Sometimes those get a bit geeky, I have to be honest, but there's a lot of enthusiasm there. We've got over 4,000 people now that are members of the platform. So those are probably the two best ways to keep in touch with what we're doing. It's brilliant. The thought of a community is fantastic, certainly from our point of view. Something we'll certainly be looking out for. Um, just to, to finish off then, Sam, if you had three tips or three key insights for anyone that's seeking to analyze and present data, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. What, what would you say? What tips would you give people? Oh, okay. It's a tricky one. Um, so I think the first one on the basis of our experience is to keep it simple. So don't overcomplicate it. Just keep it simple. doesn't need to be complicated. Um, second thing I think I'd say is be brave just bite the bullet, just go ahead, go on, download that tool, plot the dots, don't be scared of the data, 
it's not that difficult. So I think there's something about being brave. And um, I think the third thing that I say is kind of think big. So when we started this work using SPC, we used performance data and we used quality and safety data and workforce data. And then somebody had a question, could we use it for finance data? And that felt a bit scary. It was like, well, I've got no idea about finance. Um, not a clue, I'm not an accountant. And over the past 18 months, we've done a lot of work looking at SPC for finance data and we've proven that it works really, really well. Now we've got the national finance team in NHS England using SPC. And that's something that even I probably wouldn't have thought about doing. So I think, think big. So start simple, be brave and think big. There you have it, everyone. Spoke, spoken from a data expert. So thank you very much, Sam. That's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and we'll also share some of your resources across our, our wider trust as well. And we invite everyone also to get involved with their own data workshops, which kind of builds on some of the learning that we've taken from Sam. So thank you very much, Sam. Thank you.